I want to share with you a word tonight that I'm really excited about. Uh, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers um, here a while back, and man, is this message just absolutely really touched me where I'm at and the things, some things that I'm facing, some battles that I'm facing, most specifically as we have fought this battle to get our foundation poured and get our sanctuary built. And in the process of that, this has been a word that has just really touched me. And I wanted to share with you a piece of that, piece of that and what God has spoken to me through this process and hopefully encourage you, encourage you and also challenge you uh, in the, any battles, any struggles, any things you might be facing in your life. Uh, I really, I really believe it's going to be a good night tonight. Man, the presence of God has been here already. Uh, God was really strong here on Sunday, and I'm, I'm looking forward to a continued work of what God is doing in this house. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua chapter five, if you will. Joshua chapter five. Guys, if you would also get ready for me, Ruth chapter 4, Exodus chapter 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 25. Can you keep all that straight? Probably not. Can we give them to you again? Ruth 4, Exodus 3, Deuteronomy 25. You got it that time? Let's start with Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. We'll read a few verses, then we'll pray. And it came to pass when Joshua was, Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person in this room for the opportunity that we have to come and to worship you, to lift up our hands and our voices and our lives to you, to give you praise. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My son has a very cute saying. Um, They are at the, he is at the age where he and his cousins and his sister are trying to figure out the pecking order. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Who's in charge? Who's not? Um, you know, as a, as a, it's been, even now at times, but for the last year or so, he was really bad about this. His cousin Peyton's a little older than him. And so it, anything that Peyton says, Randy believes anything cows can fly. So Randy comes up, Hey daddy, cows can fly. Really? Who told you that Peyton? Well, Peyton must be right. He's six months older than you and he knows everything. Randy just believes him. Randy has this way of when he buys into something, he buys into it full force. The other day they were driving down the road and he had had too much candy. And his grandmother, uh, Lindsay's mom, said, if you eat any more candy, your head is going to spin off. Well, he wasn't going to stop eating candy. So he ate a little more. And then he said, Mom, I feel like my head is lifting off a little bit. (laughs) And it took forever to convince him that his head will not spin off if he eats more candy. No, he, no, he doesn't get more candy, but your head's not going to spin off. He lost his first tooth the other day, and they were on vacation with my parents at Slitterbond, and he swallowed it by accident. 
You know, he was eating and he swallowed it. I don't know if your kids, both of my kids did that. Uh, Kennedy did that multiple times. So Randy swallows his tooth and honest to goodness, for the next 20 minutes, dad has to convince him that the police are not going to come pick him up because he swallowed his tooth. But now they're shifting. So he doesn't fully believe everything the kids say all the time. Now they're in this new deal where they're trying to decide who's over them and who's not. And so when the kids come in and start demanding that Randy does things that he doesn't want to do, he says, you're not the adult of me. Not adult. You're not the adult of me. And that's a statement. You're not the adult of me. And it's, little, it's usually a little bit more loud and aggressive than that. You're not the adult of me. Something like that. And he really gets into it uh, because what he's saying is you're not in charge. You can't tell me what to do. You are not the boss of me because he's got this thing figured out that basically when you know when you're a kid, it's pretty simple. Adults are the boss, right? Your parents, your grandparents, your teachers, uh, your babysitter, all those things, uh, they are the boss. So they get this thing equated to adult equals boss. So Randy says, you're not the adult of me. But you know, as we grow up, as we come of age, we struggle with people being the adult of us. We don't want anybody to be the adult of us. We, we don't want anybody, anyone to be in charge of us. We don't really want, we listen to our boss, but only because they control our paycheck, not really because we want to. We don't want our spouse telling us what to do. We don't want our parents telling us what to do. We don't want the government telling us what to do. We just don't want people telling us what to do. Is anybody else out there? For Randy, it's real easy. For us, it's complicated. Uh, we don't want to listen, especially when it's not easy and it, and it isn't what we want to do. For, for Randy, he went last weekend with his grandfather for a couple of days uh, to, with my dad over to Sugarland, And I said, well, was Randy good? Yeah, he was great. Well, of course he was great. Dad didn't tell him to do anything he didn't want to do. He, he went to Fun Tiki, which is this big place with go-karts and games and pizza. Didn't make him eat any vegetables. Didn't make him like, you know, do anything hard. No, no. He let him have a blast. What they do the next day? Well, they went to the horse show. So, of course, it was easy to say yes. But, you know, you know, when everybody's doing what we want to do, it's easy for us to follow them. But when God or someone tells us to do something we don't want to, then it's, I don't, you're not the adult of me, right? So I want to talk to you about this question, simple question. It's the title of my message tonight, Who's the Boss? Y'all remember that old show, Who's the Boss? Yeah. To answer that cut question, let's... Let's look at a couple of more. I'm going to ask you a couple of more questions as we really determine the answer to that one. Going back to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua has um, crossed the Jordan River and circumcised the Israelites. And he is standing in this very unique place. He's already spied out the land. But he's crossed the Jordan. And when he crossed the Jordan, the manna stopped. So now he can't go back into the desert because the manna stopped. Their means of survival, their means of feeding two million plus people, has, oh, it's ended. But as he looks in front of him, Jericho, one of the most formidable forces, one of the most formidable, formidable cities in the known world. Jericho was famous. Remember, it was a land of giants. Not only giants, but their city was famous. Remember when they were marching around Jericho, the the. The people of Jericho were leaning over the walls, mocking them. 
because this, this is a formidable force. This is not just we're going to attack a village first and get our feet under us. No, no, no. They went straight to the most, the, the baddest city there was. And they're star- staring at Jericho if they move forward, but they can't go backwards because the manna has stopped. Interesting place that, that Joshua finds himself in. I can't go back, but if I go forward, I have to face the giants. Joshua is clearly the leader of the Israelites at this point, and thus the leader of the army. But he looks up, and he sees a man. He sees a man. Now, I want to come back to this. I want you to note that he never saw the man until he looked up. So the question becomes, where are we looking? We'll come back to that, if I remember, and have time. But I want you to note, this man is standing there, and he has a sword drawn. This man's ready for battle. This this man is not there to have a cup of coffee. He, He is not there asking Joshua, hey, let's sit down and talk a little while. No, no, no. This man is ready for battle. We don't know that this man is looking at Joshua, but, but he is ready for battle. He's got his sword out. He is ready to go. It's obvious that, the, that there is a battle shaping up. Joshua knows that he's getting ready for battle. The children of Israel know they're getting ready for battle. battle. Jericho, the Bible tells us in verse 1 or so of chapter 6 that Jericho was tightly shut up. Why was it tightly shut up? Because they had drawn everyone in and were preparing for battle. Everyone knows a battle is coming. So a guy shows up with a sword. If, you see, if you're about to go into battle and you see a guy show up with a sword right next to you, you're going to ask a very, very, very important question. Hey, man, whose side are you on? Mine or theirs? Because i got two million friends right here, and if you say you're on their side, you're not going to make it back to the camp. So whose side are you on? And Joshua, as the commander of the Israelites, this this is the right question. You would want to know. You wouldn't let an enemy come into your camp with machine guns and bazookas and grenades looking like Rambo and just chill out and hang out right before a battle, would you? No, no, you want to know whose side he is on. And so he asked this very important question, whose side are you on? Look right here in verse 13. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua asked him, there's two sides to this battle, man. Either you're for us or you're for them. Which one are you on? I don't know you. But I'm willing to let you be on our side, but I just need to know whose side are you on. Watch the man's answer in verse 14. So he said, no. That wasn't an option. Here's, Here's the options. Are you ready? Are you for us, option number one, option A, or against us, B? No is not an option. The man says, no. Joshua must have just stared at him for a moment. Like, seriously, man? I asked you an A or B answer, and you added C, none of the above. (laughs) You ever been taking a test, and there's only two options? You're going, I don't think it's either one of these. There's got to be another option. Yeah, There was another option in this moment. It's no. Why no? I love the man's answer. He says, he says, no, because he's saying to him, you're asking the wrong question. 
You see, he's really not saying no to your side or my side. He's saying, nope, you're asking the wrong question. I'm not answering it because you're asking the wrong question. So when you ask the right question, I'll give you the answer that you're looking for. But you're asking the wrong question. Because Joshua had this deal in in his mind that, that there were two sides. You need to pick a side, either the Israelites or, or Jericho. And this guy comes in and says, nope, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So here's what he says. You're right, Joshua, there are two sides, but you're wrong in who those two sides are. You thought it was Israel and the Jericho, but what I'm telling you is there are two sides, me as the commander of the army of the Lord and the enemy, the devil. There's two sides. So here's what we get in our life. We, we have to ask this question. The, the, the first question in determining who the, is the boss is that we better decide whose side that we are on. We're not looking at God saying, whose side are you on? We're looking at God saying, I better get on your side because there's only two sides to this issue. There's God's side and the devil's side. So I got to choose which side I'm on. Because there is no my side. You thought you were, you, there was your side and your husband's side? No, 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 no. There's God's side and the devil's side, and you better pick one. Wow. Oh, okay. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul wrote, For we do not wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul said, listen, you've got to understand. This, you're not, you think you're fighting a man, a boss, a husband, a kid. You're not fighting. You are fighting a spiritual battle. There is a war going on, and you have to decide which, one you're gonna, which side you're going to be a part of it. Are you with me? I'm not sure all of you are with me tonight. I'm talking really fast. I'm amped up for some reason. I don't know why. I'm ready to go. I could like run a marathon right now. At least like a half K marathon. I could get it done. <laughs> half K, that's what, like a third of a mile? <laughs> so suddenly Joshua gets this revelation I'm not fighting against the giants of Jericho. Yes, we went and scouted them out. Yes, they were giants. Yes, they're formidable. But I shouldn't be worried because I'm not fighting them. But it's a spiritual battle. and There are only two sides. Here's the good news. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then? If what? God is for us. Who can be against us? Here's the principle of this deal. God isn't getting on my side. I'm getting on God's side. And when I get on God's side and become a part of the us, who can be against us? But I got to get on God's side. I can't just make something up and say, okay, God, you align up with this great strategy that I dreamed up. No, 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 no. I got to get in line with God's strategy and then... If God be for us, who can be against us? But you have to decide whose side you're on. There are only two sides. You better pick one. You don't get to be Switzerland. You you just don't. I really think, well, let's, let's keep moving forward here. I've only got about 20 minutes. We better move forward. Watch verse 15 now. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Notice what he says here. 
Now he's a commander, he's getting ready for battle. The guy has his sword drawn and he says to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. At this point, Joshua does that. He's fallen down on his face and and he's worshiped. So why does the man tell Joshua to take his sandal off? Well, the first reason is because this man is trying to identify himself to Joshua. He's trying to help Joshua know who he is. Because all Joshua's seen at this point is a man appeared with a sword. So he says he's the commander of the Lord's army and he says this. Take your sandals off. Well, what does this remind Joshua of? Let me ask you this question. Who was Joshua's mentor? Moses. Go back to Exodus chapter 3. Let's flip back over there real quick and let's read a couple of verses. Actually, let's read a... Let's pick up uh, in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Watch, here we go. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Does that sound familiar to you? Don't you know it did to to Joshua as well? Moses was Joshua's mentor. Everything that Moses knew he had taught to Joshua to prepare him to lead the people of Israel. He had heard this story. How many times do you think he heard Moses tell this story? Tell me this. Your, your, uh, Your grandpa's favorite story. How many times have you heard him tell it? And get it wrong. <laughs> you know, they never tell it the same way three times in a row. You just, just can't do it. And so, how many, you know, he had heard Moses tell this story. Man, my life turned around when I was walking through the backside of the desert and there was a bush burning, but it wasn't burning. And then a voice spoke out of it. And then he told me to take off my sandals for it was holy ground. So this is reverberating in Joshua's ear. Take off your sandals for this is holy ground. So it connects him with a moment. In this moment for Moses, God is going to explain to Moses who he is. He does two things. He tells him who he is and he gives them instructions. So with Joshua... He is connecting Joshua with explaining who is standing there, who the man is. And secondly, he's going to give him instructions. Remember, God tells Moses to go. You're going to go and you're going to defeat Pharaoh and you're going to bring my people out. I have heard their cry. They're in bondage for too long. I'm bringing them out. How many remember the story? Do I need to go back and teach it? Oh, we're good? Okay. So he says to Moses, and he's, he's giving him instructions. But watch what he says here in verse 14. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. If you remember from our series earlier this year, I want to give you a challenging thought. Jesus said, I am. Ego am I. Greek translation of the Hebrew words recorded right here in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus said, the God that, that you heard speaking out of the burning bush, that was my voice. I am. Most theologians believe that in this moment... Joshua didn't fully recognize who was standing there, but looking back on it, most theologians believe because of these statements that the man standing before Joshua right there 
was the Old Testament Jesus Christ. Because he's reminding him, I am. Notice, if you read in, ver- in, ch- in chapter 6, and remember, that when, when Moses recorded the, the book of, uh, these books, and when, the, when the, these books were written, uh, Joshua and the, and the writers who wrote uh, these books, chapters and verses were not in there. So chapter 5 flows right into chapter 6. So this conversation, the man stands up and says, you know, they're having this conversation in, ver- in chapter 6, as we know it, he begins to immediately give them instructions on how to take down Jericho. Just like what happened with Moses. Shows up, gives him instructions, and tells him who he is. Same thing. So most theologians agree that, this, that Joshua was actually talking to Jesus right there. Whoa, Jesus showing up to fight the battle. Notice, if you look here, let's go back to Joshua now. If you look here, go back and look in verse 13. Uh, raise your hand if you're reading out of the New King James. Okay? Uh, if you're reading out of the New King James, look in verse 13. The first time it says, a man. Is man capitalized? Yes, it is. Well, as we've studied before, what happens when the word is capitalized? Who's it referring to? God or Jesus, right? Or the Holy Spirit. It's referring to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. So this is not just an angel standing here. Now, there are times in the Bible when an angel shows up. This is not just an angel. This is God himself giving instructions. And he changes the question, whose side are you on? Now, there's more to this sandal thing than identifying who the man is. I told you uh, that we're going to go to Ruth. Let's flip over to Ruth. Uh, It's just a couple of chapters, I mean, a couple of books over. Joshua judges Ruth. In the book of Ruth, um, there is a woman named Naomi who marries a man uh, from Bethlehem, which is a city in Judah. Uh, His name is uh, Elimelech. So there's a famine comes through the land. Elimelech takes his wife and his two sons, and he takes them to Moab. They settle there, and while they're there, the two sons each marry a Moabite woman. One son marries a woman named Ruth, who the book is titled after. Okay? Shortly after that, Elimelech, as well as the two sons, die. So now we have three women, the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws. Okay? Everybody nod your head if you're with me. Um, so Naomi says, listen, I'm going back to Judah. I've heard that Things are going well there now. The famine has passed over, so I'm going to go back there. And uh, Ruth, of course, you know the story says, you're not going without me. Your God will be my God and all those things. So Ruth takes off with her. They go back and uh, they find a, a relative of Elimelech's named Boaz. And they begin to work the corners of his field. In those days, they would, they would leave things in the corners so that people that didn't have uh, the money to buy the food or, or to live could go and, and come up behind the others and pick up the remainders. And so Ruth and Naomi begin doing this. You know the story. Ruth and Boaz begin a bit of a relationship there. And now Boaz decides he wants to marry Ruth. The problem is he can't. The reason he can't uh, marry Ruth is because... 
by law, it is the job of the closest relative of the husband to marry the widow. So for instance, if I had a brother and something happened to uh, me and I died, it would be up to my brother to then marry my wife. Right? Doesn't make a lot of sense in our culture. But it was actually the law, and we're going to read it in Deuteronomy chapter 25 here in just a few moments. Okay, This is the law. This is the way it goes. You don't have a choice. This is the law. So Boaz can't marry Ruth because of this law unless the man who's next in line, because where Boaz is, you, you went down the line, and each man went down the line and was supposed to marry the woman. So Boaz is second in line to be able to marry Ruth. So he calls everyone together, and uh, he, he gathers the men, and he gathers the guys from the city, ten, ten elders of the city, and, and this guy. And he says, listen, I want to marry Ruth, but I understand that I'm not next in line, but, but you are. Do you want to marry Ruth? The guy says, absolutely. Apparently she was pretty hot. I don't know. So he's like, man, I, 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 want, to marry, I want to marry her. And Boaz says, okay, but it's going to cost you this much. And the guy says, never mind. She's hot, but she's not that hot. Like, no thanks. <laughs> so the guy then says, all right, I'm going to let you marry her instead. But they go through a process. Um, in verse 7, let's read verse 7 and 8. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, watch this. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. We sound familiar here again? All right. So here's what happens. The man stands there, and he says, listen, I'm going to have to take off my sandal and give it to you. Now, remember I said to you that this was law. Joshua knew exactly what was going on. Boaz knew exactly what had to happen. Let's read it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 7. Follow along on the screen with me. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, so here we go. The man says, no, I'm not going to marry her. I don't, I don't want to. The brother says, I just, listen, I sat down and ate dinner with her. She might be crazy. I'm not marrying her. Then let the brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of this city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her. Now, so, so now he's, they, she went to the elders and, and the elders said, man, you really need to do this. This is what the law says. He says, I know what the law says, but she's crazy. I ain't marrying her. Verse 9. Here, here's her recourse. Then the brothers, his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, in the presence of these men, the leaders of the city, remove his sandal from his foot. She takes off his sandal and she spits in his face. Ooh, that's serious. And answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Watch this. And his name shall be called in Israel. She's going to change his name now. The house of him who had his sandal removed. So she changes his name. What if, what if your name got changed? I had jury duty the other day. I'm standing there with 400 people. 
I, you probably don't know this about me. I'm good when I'm standing up like this. I have no, I'm, not, I'm not nervous right now at all. But you put me in a situation like that or with just like one-on-one, I get really nervous. I get really nervous around people. Y'all probably don't know that. I try really hard to cover it up. I'm really a shy person by nature. So I'm standing here, and if you've ever had jury duty, they've got to call your name, right? And so I'm waiting, and I'm trying to get my voice good and clear so I have a good, strong here, right? So after like 20 minutes, Randon Clark, here! <laughs> I promise. Second time I've been in the last year, and both times I choked up and just said, I'm, I'm just walk down the aisle because <laughs> I can't, it's just, I don't know what the deal is. But what if you were standing in jury duty and they're calling the role and the lady's down there, I forgot her name. Uh, she's very funny. And suddenly she, you know, they never can pronounce everybody's name. And she says, Randon Clark here, Dino Hall here, the house of him who has his sandal removed. <laughs> here. This is a name now. The house of him who had his sandal removed. What is he talking about here? The reason this happened is because removing your sandal is a sign of giving up your rights. Here's what the brother said. I am giving up my rights to marry this woman, so therefore I'm taking off my sandal. Okay? So now Boaz has the right to marry her because he went to the, other, the closest relative and he said, no, 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 I'm not doing it. The price is too high. And he takes off his sandal and he gives it to Boaz and therefore the deal is confirmed. He gave up his rights. Let's go back to Joshua now. Do you under, you got, everybody got an understanding of what we're talking about? Joshua now is standing before God, quite possibly Jesus the Christ in the Old Testament. And he says, I am here as the commander of the armies of the Lord. Then he says, take off your sandal. Verse 15, again, it's singular. Take off your sandal for where the place that you are standing is holy ground. Here's what he is saying to Joshua. I want to be in charge, but you have to give up your rights. I can fight this battle. You may be worried. The people behind you may be worried. Everyone around may be scared of, the, of Jericho and the giants and the walls. But listen, I'm not afraid. But for you to be on my side, because I'm asking you this question, whose side are you on? You ask me, whose side am I on? No, no, no. I'm asking you, whose side are you on? My side or the devil's side? And here's how we're going to know. Are you willing to take off your sandal in front of everyone? Are you willing to, to take off your shoe and plop it down on the ground and preach with one shoe on in order to say to everyone around, I have given up my rights to say how this situation is going to go? And it's a good thing he did because the next thing the Lord said to him is, by the way, you're going to march around the city 13 times. You're never going to say a word and then the walls are going to come falling down flat. What kind of strategy is that? Only one that you agree to when you've already given up your rights. Can I put my shoe back on now? Joshua knew exactly what the man meant. Joshua realized who the man was, and then he realized exactly what he meant. I'm giving up my right to decide. 
but I am not giving it to anyone. I am giving it to God. So the question is, are you willing to give up your rights? In your marriage, you say, you're having a fight with your spouse, and you say, but I'm right, sure. But that's the wrong question. Because there's God's side and the devil's side, not your side and her side, your side and his side. No, no, no. You may be right. But the reason we call it rights is because it's right, not wrong. If it was wrong, we'd call it giving up your wrongs. But we don't. We call it giving up your rights. It's very hard to give up your rights when you know you're right. So you give up the right to be right. You know what? I may be right. But in my marriage, I want to be on God's side. I believe Garlington said it like this. And his words haunt me every time I get into a struggle with my wife. He said, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? Those words haunt me. I wish he had never preached them. He says, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? But when you're on God's side, you've given up your right to be right. So you say, whatever it takes, Lord, I'm going to give that up. We're saying, God, you're in charge. One more story and we're going to close. At the Last Supper, Jesus wants to wash the feet of his disciples. Interesting thing, though. He couldn't wash their feet unless they had already taken their sandals off. They had already decided, Jesus, it's your way. But then it gets a little complicated because you know it always does. It's easy to sit in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But we go out there and it gets a little, little messy. It gets a little messy. It gets a little sticky because they're sitting there and Jesus comes all the way around and he gets to Peter. You probably know Peter's response. Peter says, no way, you're not going to wash me. You, you can't do it. No way, you're not going to wash me. He just refuses. And we look down on Peter for this because Jesus says, if I did not wash you, you have no part with me. And we tend to look down on Peter. But you want to know something? Peter was exactly right. Because under, the, under that custom, that culture, and those laws, a rabbi never served or washed the feet of his disciples. So when Peter is sitting there saying, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet, he's not just being obstinate for the sake of being obstinate. He may do that at times in his life. This isn't one of them. He is literally saying, the law, the custom says, you can't wash my feet because you're the rabbi and I am the servant. I am the disciple, so I have to wash your feet. But Jesus says, if, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now, he means a lot of things here. One of the first things he means is that Jesus is the only one that can wash us and cleanse us of our sins. No one else can. You can try it a thousand ways, but no one else can do it except for Jesus. But then he's saying something else. Are you willing to take off your sandals and do things my way? I know I'm bucking the law right here. I know this doesn't make sense to you, but are you willing to do it anyway? Are you willing to say, if, it's, if it means being wrong, to have a part with you, then wash my feet. So the question is, as we go through life and go through struggles, frustrations, complications, difficulties, 
and the things we all face. Are you willing to do it God's way? Are you willing to say, God, you're the boss. And if this is what you want, right or wrong, I'm going with your way. Are you willing to take your sandals off? To let your name be changed to a name that says to the world, I've given away my rights. I've given away my rights. In your marriage, have you given away your rights? In your job, in your home, in your time, in your finances, have you given away your right to be right in order to follow God? Stand with me today as we close. Here's the good news. Joshua took off his sandal. He got some very unorthodox instructions. He followed them to a T. And he won the battle. Moses got some very unorthodox instructions. You're going to throw your staff down. It's going to turn into a serpent. You're going to pick it up by the tail. And it's going to turn back into your staff. And yet, it worked. Because when Jesus shows up and you give him your right, he works it out if you follow him. Because we say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity to get on your side. I thank you that we have the opportunity to Give away our rights, not to anyone, but give away our rights to you, to follow in your path, to follow in your ways. Even if at times it looks strange, it looks difficult, uh, we don't fully understand it, Lord, I know and I trust that you're God. And if you're on our side, who can be against us? None can. So, Father, we're following after you. Lord, I am praying that the people of this house would have the courage to take their sandals off and to follow Jesus. That they would have the courage to give up their rights in every area of their life. That we would stop doing so much to try to be right, but Lord, we would do everything in our power to get on your side, to get in accordance with your will. Lord, and as we do, help us to overcome. Help us to be more than overcomers in our life. I thank you for it right now. In your name we pray. Amen.